This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Welcome, Talk Catholic, the website.com, your host, Tim Kilcoin. No agendas here, just the straight and narrow, through Mary to Jesus, the Catholic faith proclaimed and preserved. Hope to see you here every week. This is Talk Catholic with Tim Kilcoin, and as we begin a new school year, ever more important that you do your first five Saturdays of the month for Our Lady and tell your classmates what you're doing. You're going to go to Mass, you're going to go to confession before that, recite the rosary, and meditate 15 minutes on any particular mystery, and Our Lady will be there to guide you through the school year, no doubt. But more so, she has promised to be there on that most important day, your entrance to eternity, if you be faithful. And do these five consecutive First Saturdays, please. In any event, we have our interview, and it is with a spectacular holy gentleman of God, a priest, Father Lawrence Kearney, of the Holy Face Devotion. And we'll learn a little bit about sacramentals in a second. We will also, in the second half of our show, start a new book review, which I'll just hold you in suspense for. So let's get started with Father Lawrence. But as a preface to the interview, let's have a tutorial on sacramentals, because that's what we're going to be talking about, a specific sacramentals called the Holy Face of Jesus. And we should be mindful of exactly what all these sacramentals signify. I read directly from the Catechism. Holy Mother Church has instituted sacramentals. They are sacred signs which bear a resemblance to the sacraments. They signify effects, particularly of a spiritual nature, which are obtained through the intercession of the Church. By them, men are disposed to receive the chief effect of the sacraments, and various occasions in life are rendered holy. Sacramentals derive from the baptismal priesthood. Every baptized person is called to be a blessing and to bless. And then from another excellent book called the Catholicism Answer Book, 300 Most Frequently Asked Questions, Father John Trujillo of EWTN fame is giving a little bit of an explanation on the wearing of religious medals. A Catholic does not wear a medal for luck. Rather, they wear a medal to remind themselves either of a saint that the medal represents or of Jesus and his mother Mary. Many religions have external signs of devotions that believers wear. For example, Jewish and Muslim men wear skull caps. Muslim women veil themselves in public. Catholics wear medals, crucifixes, and scapulars. Often this sacramental is placed under one's clothing but can be worn externally as well. In the following interview, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about a particular external sacramental called the Holy Face of Jesus that has a tradition behind it, uh, probably obscured for most of us, and the priest, Father Larry Carney, who just visited us here in Massachusetts and making a little lecture tour of certain parishes, knows all about it. And Father has written a book called The Holy Face of Jesus, The Devotion That Will Change the World. Let us begin. Give us just a little assessment of the Holy Face devotion for our times and how you got started personally as a priest with this devotion, ever apropos to the critical times in which we live, I have no doubt. Yeah, give us a little bio intro, if you could. Sure. 
yes, since I was born in 1975, and I became a priest in 2007, and I was a pastor for four years, and then I became the chaplain of the Benedict of the Mary, Queen of the Apostles, for the last 10 years, Okay. and that's where I discovered this devotion, because I was going to write an article, and I asked the iris, she's second in charge of the Abbey, what should I write about? And she says, oh, Father, write about the holy face of Jesus. Nice. And so that was the first time I've ever heard of it. And then I've got friends all over the state, and somebody sent me, one of my friends, a book related to this topic, and then another one came a few months later from another state, and then another one, you know, within a year. And I had all these sources. One of them is called The Golden Arrow, which is a book about the revelation of the Holy Faith devotion. So I read that with great zeal, and it just struck to my heart. And then I read The Holy Man of Tours, who was a propagator of this devotion. So the first one was revealed to a nun by Jesus in the 1840s. And the second guy, Venerable Leo Pont, he promoted it after she died. Okay. And then the last book I got was The Whole World Will Love Me, which is a biography of St. Therese of Lisieux and her love of the Holy Faith. And mm. I just couldn't believe when I read this book, the world did not know this devotion yet. Mm. So I, I was just struck with a fire to preach about it. Nice. I'm thinking of a good friend of mine that just departed, Brother Alphonsus Maria, a slave of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and great devotion to the Holy Face. And he told me about a little trip that he made to the Vatican back in the late 1970s. He was kind of in pursuit of the Holy Face to see the original, and they didn't they didn't have it there. Uh, he was wondering if it had been stolen. Any do you have any thoughts or any any knowledge of that? Oh yeah, there's a lot of people that say that. Okay. I think that it's propaganda. Okay. Because in 1849, Pope Blessed IX had the Vela Veronica put out on display mm. for reparation for the Masons who had killed his Secretary of the State in cold blood wow. in 1849, and he exiled himself to get it because his life was in such great jeopardy. Okay. And the critics that say that the Vela Veronica is no longer there said it was taken away about 350 years before this happened. Now, when he put it out, there was a miracle that happened. And the Val Veronica, you can't see the line of the face of Jesus because it's so old mm. and it's faded. But when they put this veil out for devotion, they put a thin piece of silk to cover it. And the liniments began to show up on this blank piece of silk. Mm. And then there was a light that was glowing from it. And then they say, okay, well, maybe a few people saw that. Well, no, mm. it's better. The notary of the Vatican came to see it because it was happening, this project, for three hours. Wow. And he certified it. Okay. And they rang the bells of the Vatican. Yeah. And all the Italians that wanted to see it came. And it was a talk of town for months. And the canons of St. Peter's actually included this history in the Vatican Day book. So it's official history. Wow. So to say that the vow is not there mm. would be saying that that was some other special cloth that did that. I see, I see. Is there a resemblance between this holy face and that on the uh, Shroud of Turin? I haven't seen anybody superimpose those two images yet. Okay. Now, it's been done with the Vela Monopello, yeah. which is in Italy, yeah. and with the Shroud of Turin, and I've seen pictures of that, but not the Vela Veronica. Okay. Okay. Now, I think I recall seeing an interview with you where you were talking about your priestly ministry. How is this all incorporated now into exactly what you do as a priest? Well, that's a good question.
I heard that you were walking around St. Paul like. <laughs> yeah, I'm just walking around today. A walking ministry. I love. I love this. Go ahead. Yeah, I carry crucifix in my right hand. It's a very beautiful one. Yeah. It's big, and then I pray the rosary in my other hand. Oh, I love. And I wear a cassock. Yeah. In the summer, I wear a tropical cassock because it, it's cooler. Okay. And I just pray the rosary and talk to people. For example, today. A uh, young man by the name of Vladimir, yeah. 26 years old, he's just down on his life, and he drank like 23 cans of beer yesterday. Oh, boy. And I was just there to tell him, you got to pick God in your life instead of his booze. Yeah. And so he, he walked with me for a couple of miles, and we just prayed the rosary in Latin. I taught him how to pray that, and I gave him my number, and I, he lives right next to the cathedral. So wow. he said he, he's thinking about going to church. Awesome. We got to pray for this guy. Awesome. Awesome. That's as good I as it gets. Go ahead. To help people like that, and if we just get a few people like that, and they come to God, then they'll tell all their friends, and then it's over. It's going to be a city, <laughs> a holy city someday. Exactly. <laughs> Father, talk to us, especially those that are not Catholic, about sacramentals in general. What are they? How are they imbued with grace and power, etc.? Sure. So. By distinction, the sacraments were instituted by Jesus Christ to give grace. Mm. But the sacramental were instituted by the church to give grace. You see, there's two different institutors. Yep. One is Christ, and one is basically the Holy Spirit through the church. Okay. So there's a lot of sacramentals. The cassock, what a priest wears, yep. it's sacramental. The habit of what religious wear, sacramental rosary, chapel of the holy face, you can go on and on. Yep. There's all kinds. The medals on our neck. Right. And what is neat about the sacramentals is they're objects. We can hold them. We can wear them. Scapulars. Because we're human. We're not just angel spirits. We're yeah. not just pure spirits. We have a body. body. And so these things help us to move into the spiritual world with being humans, with you know physical well-being we have. Mm. And so this using these instruments actually give us grace gives us help and it helps us to be more in tune with the sacraments right the seven sacraments so we say about the sacraments outward signs that effect grace how is that different from the sacramental well the sacramental depends upon the devotion and the piety of the souls that are praying very good so the sacraments of course they give grace no matter what Mm. It depends on the recipient. So okay. the priest who says mass, it doesn't matter what state his soul is in, as long as he says a valid mass, yes. he gives grace. Yes. But the sacramentals, like an exorcist who prays the sacramentals of exorcism over a possessed person, mm. it depends on the holiness of the priest. Okay. And it even says that in the rubrics that the bishop should pick priests that have been well experienced and have holiness. Okay. And does it depend on the cooperation of the recipient? Of course. Okay. For both. Okay. Oh. For both the sacraments and the sacramentals. Very good. I I just astonished a a, a podiatrist the other day. <laughs> I had no I, I had no idea what his background was religiously. But he says, I I hope you're open to the supernatural and natural solutions to health, <laughs> because I just I had this uh, good old I hate to say it over the air one of those nasty looking fungal nails on my big toe and uh i proceeded to put blessed salt and lord's water on it 
for six months, about, and it's virtually completely gone. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he just looked at me with that kind of scientific smile. (laughs) Not quite sure he was all in, but uh, I just told him, I said, yeah, but, you know, part of it is you have to believe, okay? That's part of the effect. These sacramentals don't really take effect unless you're in grace, correct? Correct. Depends on the recipient. Okay. It also depends on what God wants to do. Sometimes God wants to withhold healings or whatever because he knows that there's some virtues that will be strengthened if he does that. Because God, his providence is for our advantage, not for our well-being. I mean, not for our satisfaction, for our advantage. Yeah. So that's the moral life. Okay. He wants us. So he'll pull. So he'll he'll pull back a little bit to make us work a little harder. Yeah. Okay. Like someone I meet in the street. Yeah. That wants to come to God. They're gonna. God's usually gonna give them a lot of signal graces and healings and supernatural things. But once a soul needs to mature, he takes those away, and that's part of the interior life. And I'm working on a on a book on the interior life that's attached to the devotion to the holy faith. Okay, okay. Tell us about your new book, how it got started, and, and what's the, uh, the nuts and bolts of it. Sure, so Sam Publishers, they're my favorite publishers ever since I was a seminarian mm. 20 years ago, and I always thought it would be neat to write a book on the holy faith, and Tan would be a great publisher. Yeah. So I get an email from Tan, and they ask, would you like to write a book on the holy faith? So I went to my spiritual director, and I told him that. He said, well, you're going to do it? I said, well, that's why I'm asking you for permission. Mm. Said, yeah, go for it. <laughs> so I wrote wrote it and submitted it to them, and it was published about a year ago, and they did a great job. They have a, a person called a publicist. Okay. It promotes books that are written by new authors and also deceased authors. Okay. So she she put me on to a lot of media where we did interviews. Mm. So we got the word out about this. And now, thanks to writing this book, I have the grace to be asked to go around to different parishes around the nation to talk about this. Awesome. Devotion. And have you, what have been some of the net effects? Well, people are learning about it. And, you know, Romans 8, it says faith comes by hearing. So when I get to speak to people in person, mm. physically, it, it's a big impact. Yep. And so people that are they're, they're ready for this devotion, once I speak, then they want to start a League of St. Martin group. Yep, speak which, to that. Yeah, which is a, I started the League of St. Martin, and one of the things we do is we focus on promoting the sacramentals of the rosary okay. and the devotion to the Holy Faith. Okay. And... One of the main things we do is we encourage people to pray once a month together with this devotion. Okay. And that's part of what the devotion asks for is that there's a monthly prayer meeting or a chapter. Okay. So that's what happens when I leave is people get fired up mm. about starting a league of St. Martin. Oh, okay. Or they start any group that's devoted to the Holy Faith. Okay. And what's neat is lots of times before I, I have my talks, they're usually in the evening. Yeah. I pray the rosary. I walk around the town, walk around the parish, and guess what? Our Lady puts the Holy Spirit for all kinds of inspiration Absolutely. in me. So I preach to that because yeah. it's particular to that group and their situation. It's really cool to see how the Holy Ghost is working. And then the people get really fired up because it's not like something I read from script. It's yeah. something that was meant for them. Yeah, there was a particular priest. He's a Franciscan. I, I've been, he's on the on the elderly side at this point. But, you know, I, I was urging him. I said, Father, why don't we just go out downtown and have dinner at, at as many restaurants as we can? And 
<laughs> and you, all you have to do is wear your garb, and we might convert this whole place. What's all about? I find it just fascinating. I have the book somewhere about Catholic street evangelization. Have you been privy to that particular book or anything like it? Because this, this is like as elementary as the first apostles, and yet so far removed from our consciousness as Catholics. Father, hold that thought. We will be back at it next month for the second part of this interview with Father Larry Kearney of the Holy Face Devotion. Let's take a break. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM, and we will begin a new book review to start the new school year. Certainly an inspirational song for me as a former high school teacher. It's all about teaching the truth and love, the song to serve with love with Lulu. This was not an easy decision, given the fact that I have so many books in my little library. And what would be one to start the school year with? That's how I came to make my decision. And it's a short little book. It's by Edward Sri. He's been on EWTN more than often. And I'll just read the back of the book as his bio. Dr. Edward Sri is a professor of theology at the Augustan Institute and a founding leader with Curtis Martin of Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. Among his other books are Love Unveiled, The Catholic Faith Explained, and Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love. He is the presenter of several video series, including a biblical walk through the Mass. Dr. Sri is a popular speaker and regularly leads pilgrimages to Rome and the Holy Land. He resides with his wife Elizabeth and their eight children. 
in Littleton, Colorado. And as far as I'm concerned, anybody that has eight children uh, is usually someone to listen to, as I'm thinking of Dr. Peter Kreft and Dr. Taylor Marshall. Uh, They know what works. In any event, this is an ever apropos book as students are going back to school, especially high school and college, and it all zones in on the ultimate question of this book entitled, Who Am I to Judge? Oh, doesn't this go right to the jugular of all issues today? And I want to read, right from chapter one, A New Kind of Intolerance. Very important, ladies and gentlemen, to listen in. Please, students especially, you need to hear this and have it in your back pocket this fall. This is really a moral playbook on how to respond if you want to stay traditional and Catholic Christian. Quote, so how did you respond to that question about gay marriage? That's the simple question Kara was asked by a friend on the way out of class her freshman year at college. She was taking a political science course at a big state university when her professor passed out a survey about moral beliefs and politics. One of the questions was about gay marriage. I said I was against it, she said. Kara grew up in a Catholic family, went to youth group as a teenager, and continued practicing her faith in college, going to Mass every Sunday on campus. Her faith was important to her, and she held traditional values about marriage and family. Well, I said I was for it, her friend replied. Unlike Carrie, he believed each individual should be free to make up his own morality and decide for himself what marriage is. But he shrugged off Kara's seemingly antiquated beliefs and went his way, saying, to each his own. See you at the party tonight. Despite the difference of opinion, all seemed to remain peaceful between the two friends until Kara showed up at the party. As soon as she entered the room, her friend stood up and shouted to everyone's attention, Hey, everybody, guess what Kara said about gay marriage in class today? She said she was against it. Can you believe it? She's against gay marriage. Suddenly, Kara found herself on trial, surrounded by dozens of her peers berating her. How could you say that? Who are you to decide what marriage is for everyone else? Why are you so intolerant? You shouldn't impose your views on other people. She tried to explain her position, but it only made things worse. Some even called her a bigot and a gay hater. In the end, the only thing she could do was walk away and leave. Devastated, Kara left that party changed. She had never taken such a thrashing for her faith before. She pondered whether it was worth it all. I don't know if I want to stand up for my beliefs like this again, she told herself. It cost way too much. Understandably, Kara wanted to fit in, to be accepted and liked by her friends, but I learned that day she reflected that if I stand up for what I believe, I would suffer a lot for it, and I didn't think I had it in me to take another beating like that. That's when Kara started becoming a relativist, at least in her heart. At first, the change was subtle. She still held the same moral convictions about abortion, marriage, and sex, but with a new two-word qualification, for me. When hot-button moral issues would come up in conversation, she would say to her friends, well, for me, abortion is wrong. I would never have an abortion. But if other people think abortion is okay, that's fine for them. Or, quote, for me, marriage is between a man and a woman, but if someone else thinks differently, then that's okay for them, if that's what makes them happy. Those two little words, however, marked a big change in Kara's mindset. No longer did she uphold the real right or wrong in the world, a moral standard that applies to everyone. Rather, she relegated morality to a matter of personal taste, like someone's favorite color, type of music, or ice cream flavor. 
for me, abortion is wrong, became just like, for me, chocolate is better than vanilla. But here's the problem with this two-word qualification. Once we make that subtle move, once we give up on the existence of moral truth in the universe, then anything goes. Anything is morally justifiable, and anything is possible. And not just for other people, but for ourselves as well. Without a moral structure, we are more likely to compromise when faced with our own temptations. But should this really trouble us? After all, people change their preferences in music, food, drink, and sports. So if morality is just personal taste, then why shouldn't our moral beliefs and practices change over time too? That's what started happening with Kara. Surrounded by a decadent culture on her college campus and peers who were living very different kinds of lifestyles than she, Kara started to waver. If there's no real right or wrong, if everything's just a matter of personal taste, then maybe it's not a big deal. Over time, Kara found herself making compromises in her own moral life, doing things she never imagined herself doing. She started skipping Mass on Sunday, and by the end of her freshman year, she had stopped practicing her faith altogether and had fully espoused moral relativism. Kara's experience is a true story. Her name has been changed here, and one that exemplifies the challenges of relativism today. Every age has its bullies who shame or oppress people because of race, religion, color, or gender. We should always fight against bigotry of this sort and treat all people with dignity, even if they are different from us or we disagree with them. But today we experience a new kind of bullying. It's what Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI called the dictatorship of relativism. You can have your truth, but there is no the truth. Not is the official 2023 Catholic answer, which we'll provide here weekly at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. May your school teach the truth only. To St. Elizabeth Ann Seaton, God bless. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please, my number is 877-625-3727. Tim Kilcoin, TalkCatholic.com. Say, Mother Teresa told us, your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless.